Hi, I'm Beck Rayner, and this is the Military Wife Life podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports, and embraces the spouses behind the military members by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Want to join a bank that just gets Defence Life? Defence Bank is one of Australia's largest customer-owned banks. They have 33 on-base branches across Australia, an award-winning banking app that allows you to do all your banking wherever, whenever, and Defence Bank offers competitive products and services tailored for ADF members and defence spouses. Visit defencebank.com.au today and see how easy your banking can be. Earlier in the year, I caught up with a number of defence partners to talk about how they and their defence member and family navigated the pandemic lockdown and COVID restrictions throughout 2020 and more recently 2021. They all had varied experiences. Some had a surprisingly positive story to tell, while others were understandably pushed to the absolute brink for various reasons. Long separations, uncertainty, isolation and support and services that found it hard to move with the ever-changing situation and needs of defence families. Lessons were learnt and some hard decisions going forward may have to be made about how Defence Life will work in the future, but overwhelmingly, it's clear that we all just did our best when faced with some impossible situations. These are the stories of Chantelle, Stephanie, Julia and Defence member Jai and Lauren. What was your experience of COVID last year in general and how did that sort of impact with, was your your partner away? Like how did you sort of get through that time? These whispers sort of started coming out about this new virus and I thought it was going to be like the swine flu or the bird flu where it didn't affect us. And at that point, Steve was going to be leaving at the end of Jan for a deployment and I thought, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. And I said to him, you know, are you guys going to avoid China because of this virus? And he goes, oh, it's probably nothing. Like, we were so naive to think it was going to be nothing. And I had just purchased all the stuff for, like, stock, colour, you know, mirrors. And I purchased floating floorboards for the garage for my, my little salon. And the whispers started getting more concerned about this virus and how contagious it was and how you know it was going to be pretty awful if you caught it and so you know the the things at the shopping center slowly started becoming a bit harder to buy you know the pasta it wasn't at the full hysteria moment but a couple of days after that I said to Steve oh let's just watch the news because we don't like watching the news with the kids around just because a lot of it is, you know, doom and gloom. And there was like the bushfires that had just happened. Steve's grandma had just passed away. You know, there was flooding. It was just, it kind of felt like the world was ending every time you just turned the news on because of how they spoke and, and all the stuff that was going on at the time. And I just didn't want the kids to feel like, what's next? And so the kids were in bed and they kind of just went, you know, there's talks about the Australian border closing to international flyers, all the Australians must come home as soon as possible. And I just looked at Steve and I instantly went from, oh, whatever, to, are you sure you have to go? Like, this sounds pretty serious. Oh, it's nothing. Like, they're, they're not even testing people in Australia unless you've travelled overseas the last 14 days. And then the, the, I think it was like the Herald Sun released that article about stocking up for two weeks. And it was three days before he left. And I said to him, well, we better go to the shops and get some toilet paper and some pasta just in case, you know, it takes a little while to be able to restock. And there was nearly a punch on at Irvington Woolworths 
when we got there, there was people shoving whatever they could find into their trolleys. And I just looked at Steve and he looked at me and he just said, I'm going to get the stuff that you need for the fortnight. Just do online shopping. He was like, you go sit in the car with the kids. And I said, no, no, I'm going to finish doing the food shopping because as husbands, like they know what they want to get, but that's not the same shopping list in my head. <laughs> yeah. And he's about to go away. So, you know, he, yeah. he might be going away, but you'll still be left with whatever he buys. Exactly. And as much as he loves peanut butter, I, I'm, I'm okay with not buying like three jars of it. So <laughs> I remember just trying to get as much fresh food as I could. Like there was no broccoli. I tried to get frozen stuff just to stock up because I thought I don't want to have to come back if I don't have to because it was going for six weeks. And we left. I remember the news broke out that night about the Ruby Princess and I sort of said to Steve, I don't, I don't think this is a good idea that you go. And he goes, well, I don't really get a choice in the matter. Like I have to go. And the, they were talking about closing the schools and my brain instantly went, oh, shit, I can't do this. I can't have three children at home full-time try to teach the oldest the middle one is in preschool three days a week it's my only saving grace it's my sanity you know people pulling their kids out of childcare, and I remember saying to Steve like what do I do and he goes I can't offer you a solution my eldest suffers from pretty severe asthma so I thought it would be a great idea to pull him out of school a little bit earlier and I remember at the time the school was a little bit like oh you're overreacting but you know you you need to do what fits best for your family so I moved on to remote learning I tried to think about what I could do in regards to this business because you couldn't run a business from home and I didn't feel comfortable with having people coming over especially you know I'm not saying everyone is deceptive but they're not going to tell you where they've been in the last 14 days because half the time they don't remember or they haven't been following social distance rules and I thought I don't want to risk my family with that and I sat at home and I thought it was just all these days just rolled into like one long, long day. <laughs> and Steve came home just when, you know, pasta was starting to stay on the shelves. There was toilet paper becoming a bit more readily available. My youngest was still on formula at the time. I'd, I had breastfed him until he was one and a half and I quit my job that January to open up my hotel on. So I had moved him onto a bottle and I couldn't find his formula anywhere. I remember calling him and saying, I've just, you know, I've come to the shops at seven o'clock on the dot and they've already said that they don't have his formula. What do I do? And he goes, well, he probably doesn't need it. I said, and at that point, like he was in that gray zone of does he have follow-ups from there or not? I know a lot of people might say, oh, you know, past one, it's not necessary, but because when he was born, he was born with a heart murmur and a heart condition. He got really sick at six months old and had RSV and was in hospital for two and a half weeks. And it stunted his growth. So his paediatrician wanted him on this special formula. I had to drive to Wollongong to go buy this formula. This lady on the phone, I was crying at this point, almost hysterical to say, like, he just needs this formula for another couple of weeks. His paediatrician's asked, he can't prescribe it to me. And she said, don't worry, I'll hold it for you. You get here when you get here. Drove all the way down to Wollongong, picked it up. I was just so relieved. And then, you know, that was like the last hint that he sort of had before we moved him on. But I just remember the stress of that was intense. And like you mentioned, he can't offer any solutions because he can't be there to help. At all. And he like sort of came back, you know, waltzed in after his little trip away where, you know, they weren't allowed to dock anywhere and, and got off the boat. And the way he told me, I was like, am I supposed to feel sorry for you? <laughs> Like, oh, okay, what was you? You couldn't get off the boat. Like, what? And he came back and he goes, I don't know what you're complaining about. There's stuff on the shelves. There's food in the fridge. Like, what was so bad about it? 
And I just looked at him at once and I said, that has got to be the dumbest thing I've ever heard you say in my life. And you've said some pretty dumb things, my friend. And he kind of looked at me and, you know, at one point, my neighbour, you know, who's a lovely soul, she's moved, so I can say this, <laughs> had complained to DHA because my three kids were outside between the hours of 12 and 1 on the trampoline playing in the backyard just so I could have a break and they were too loud for her. And I just During the day? During the day, yeah. And I just remember getting that phone call from DHA and I just had like a manic laughing episode. I think I snorted, I must have <laughs> wheezed or coughed. And she just goes, are you okay? And I said, no. I said, but are you serious? Is that what you're calling me about? I said, because you guys haven't fixed the front door yet and you guys haven't fixed the back door, but you're calling to tell me that my neighbour has complained because my kids are too loud. Are you serious? And she goes, oh, I'm just, you know, we just want to get to the bottom of it because we don't want any tensions rising. I was like, they've risen. The tensions have risen. So, and she goes, oh, you know, I said, look, I said, you can tell from our floor plan that we're in a four-bedroom house. She's like, yes. I said, okay, because I have a lot of children and they're all boys and we've been homeschooling now for six weeks. So, yeah, it is going to be loud for the hours between 12 and 1 because that's when their lunch break would be at school and I've got them playing outside with, you know, some water and mud and sand and on their trampoline and on their swing set, which I don't know how we've managed to fit into this tiny little backyard that you guys have squished us in. And I said to her, did you know that the playgrounds are closed? She goes, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, okay, so what do you want me to do about it? And she kind of went, sorry to have wasted your time. And I said, oh, no, well, I've got you. Can you please fix my front door? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, for the next week, every time my kids were outside, the neighbour would come outside. And I just, I think I was borderline about to just go, because I could hear her going, Every time my kids would squeal or they'd have a water fight or they were, you know, making slime. Being or, a human yeah. child that has yeah. needs to. And I could hear her like loudly talking on the phone to her mum or something. And I just got up on my little stool and I looked over the fence and I said to her, if you've got a problem, you can come talk to me. I said, because I'm trying my best. I really am. I said, I've got three kids. We're all homeschooling. I said, it's really hard. So if you've got any solutions on how to get them to be quiet, I'd love it. She goes, have you tried an iPad? And I said, yeah. What do you think they're watching now? How to make a volcano? And she just went, I said, so, you know, maybe don't choose to live in a residential area with lots of families and go live in an apartment in Woolloomooloo or something. And I told my mum and she goes, are you sure you're not having a mental breakdown? Because, you know, I'm the least confrontational person, but I saw red. I was... The flag was risen and I charged. Honestly. <laughs> I, like... In a time like that, community bands together. Like we had a few people at the estate early on who were nurses and stuff that needed to go for testing and being in self-isolation. And I remember the, the calls out to Facebook of, hey, we're, we're being forced to self-isolate for 14 days because we've, you know, been in close contact. We've had people like go make food, drop food off, drop groceries off. There was posts for, you know, hey, if anyone's seen toilet paper, can you buy us a packet? We'll give you the money when you drop it off. Like it was the biggest teamwork. And yeah, so then he comes home and he just is like, I don't know what you're complaining about. And I'm like, oh, look, oh, those are divorce fighting words. <laughs> <laughs> Did he at any point have to go and track down toilet paper or anything like that? Or did he just live in his little defense bubble and go to work and come back from work? And uh, He lived in his little defense bubble until he had to go get his glasses prescription picked up. He had to sign in and, you know, sanitize this and sanitize that and have a temperature check to even go in. And he's like, oh, this is a bit full on. And she's like, 
really? This has been going on for months. And I just looked at it with like my eyebrow in the air, like, yeah, Steve, it's been going on for months. Where have you been living under a rock? And he's like, very funny, you should tell. Very funny. <laughs> nope, just living in my defense bubble. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you what, I'd, I'd be glad to never experience this ever again. <laughs> Well, welcome, Stephanie, to the Military Wife Life podcast. Thank you. We're talking about spouses and defence families experiencing during COVID. Can you tell me whereabouts you're posted at the moment and what field your military person works in? How does it sort of work for, for your family? So we are actually brand new into it all. I'm still in my hometown of Manjimup in Western Australia. And uh, Ben, my husband, he's just shipped off recently over to Jervis Bay at Creswell. He's joining as an officer to become a maritime warfare officer. He left at the end of January. So how did that work with him getting ready to go into the Navy and all that was happening with COVID and restrictions? How was that going to work with him being basically on the other side of the country and, you know, going into it, not knowing what was happening with COVID? So COVID was actually a really helping hand for us. He spent all of 2020 training. He lost 27 kilos in total to get ready. We did have a job to begin with, but then we we both got fired. We were running a pizza shop in town. We lost our jobs due to hiring cheaper staff, but with Centrelink having higher payments, put our mortgage on hold and we all of a sudden had all this free time to for him to start training. So we're going through walks and runs every day and in Manjimup we have four seasons in one day so we could work around the rain and having a little one, she turned one last June So we were working around her as well and it didn't matter what time of the day that we we went out training for him. But we were on 20 acres as well, so no restrictions really for us. WA was pretty cruisy as well, but yeah, just had no restrictions really around us at all. So what would have happened, do you think, if COVID hadn't have happened? Do you think it would have been a longer process for him to join Defence? Had he even really seriously been considering joining the Navy? I think we still would have had everything in place because we had made the decision January 2020. So before the pandemic really kickstarted in Australia. So I definitely think that it would have gone that way still. Despite the fact that obviously all that was happening with COVID and, you know, you weren't as affected because you're on a a large property and sort of away from people and all the restrictions that you would have had to be abiding by, COVID actually looking back is a positive experience for you. Yes, definitely a positive experience. We had a lot of disappointment and bad at the beginning of the year because we did actually go into business with family and that's where it did all change. What was the process for your husband? Obviously, he took the time during COVID to get fit and to be able to apply and get through the process of joining the Navy. Did he have to wait around for a few months to actually go away to start his training? Like how, how long was the process once the application was in and it was all underway? So we walked into our DFR in Perth in January 2020. We got everything started from about February. He went through all these processes. 
he was uh, went through the initial online test. He went through that, but then got a medical restriction after he broke his back when he was 16. So it was a little bit difficult there because we had to go through to Perth to get a few medical certificates to say that he was fine. And that's when all the borders were closed all the regional borders were closed for Western Australia. So we're having to apply and it was actually quite interesting. There was all the military people at the <laughs> the point that we had to go through and we're trying to get through just so that he could actually join. And so once he had everything sorted with all the paperwork and got accepted, how were you feeling about going into him joining the Navy and things still being a little uncertain Obviously, when he goes away for training, you're not able to see each other anyway. So I guess that's taken out of the equation. But just knowing that with possible border closures and things like that, that he couldn't get back if he needed to in a hurry. How were you feeling going into with two kids and and being over in WA? I haven't stressed too much, probably because it has been so good and in our favour. Nothing hasn't gone our favour with it, really. So I've probably not stressed too much thinking about it. But yeah, it's definitely always in the back of my mind that what if something happens he needs to get here but it it's not been something that I've been worrying about. So how long will his training be for and what will happen when he's finished? So his training will go through to June 1st stint then he'll head off to Sydney to join Watson for the next two years. We have currently applied for housing for us to join back up as a family in June. We're hoping, fingers crossed, everything goes our way there. Is there any type of restrictions on you joining him in June still in force or will it just have to be wait and see when it gets closer to the date with moving and going to different states? I think just wait and see, but every day is so different. It could change at any minute. How are you handling the fact that everything is changing day by day and that you can't really plan ahead? It's just kind of hidden in the back of my mind so I'm extremely excited Uh, we've been together for 13 years and never been apart longer than 16 days it's a little bit nerve-wracking but I'm just trying to look at the positives and stay excited (laughs) yeah for sure and so what did 2020 teach you and what what did you take away from 2020 now that we're a little way into 2021 it's basically taught me to stop planning and go with the flow (laughs) It sounds like a key takeaway for any defence spouse at any point in their time as a defence couple or family. I think it's definitely been a great preparation for both me and Ben because we usually like our lives planned down to the very fine line. But now we're just basically open to anything wherever we go, however long we're apart. We just look forward to the next time we see each other and we're just treating every step as a new adventure as a, as a family. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Steph, and telling us about your COVID experience and your 2020. It's great to hear the good, the bad, the ups, the downs, just so we can get a gauge of all different defence families' experiences during COVID and coming out of COVID and and I guess going forward in this new way of doing life post-COVID. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Julia, at the moment you, you guys are MWDU and I guess experiencing isolation and lockdown and, and all that comes with what's happening in the world at the moment and very limited reunion visits. Can you talk to us about how you envisioned MWDU working and what the reality has been during COVID? 
Yeah, we envisioned NWDU working very differently, working in our favour instead of actually against us. And then obviously the biggest battle has been the borders being closed. So my current job allows me the flexibility to just pick up my little floppy sized computer or my laptop and I can go and work from Jai's location and I can do that for as long as I can get care for the dog. So if I want to go and spend a month working out of his location, I can. Um, he's got the internet and everything set up. So that was fine. But obviously now we're in two different states um, and with the borders closed as well. And then Jai also on the COVID operation assist, we're not able to do that. And we don't have a timeline for when we're going to be able to see each other again. We were very fortunate enough that he was able to come home for a month, um, so around the end of May and start of June. So a lot of other families are worse off than us. You know, they're currently at, at 10 months or more that they haven't seen each other and, and no end date in sight. So we definitely know that we've been luckier than some, but it's still not making it easier. And so everything's just up in the air and it's a real spanner in the works of the plan that we had laid out for these two years. And do you feel like that there's this different level of, I guess, empathy from people in regard to even you know, family and friends that might not get defense life and, and how it works and separation with regard to, well, you know, it's okay. You've got the dogs. You, you're not locked down with kids. You don't have the stresses of having to have kids at home and that sort of thing, that there's a different level of empathy that you'll be right because you're just looking after yourself and it shouldn't be that stressful. You're just working from home. Like how have you found that side of things? I found it really difficult because going back 12 months now, I sustained a pretty horrific injury that crippled me with both my arms and I'm still dealing with that injury now, but it's actually up in my um, spine and, and neck now. So obviously, in addition to dealing with COVID itself and lockdown um, and isolation, um, and then also dealing with long distance and MWDU, there was adding that on top of it because even in these circumstances, that hasn't been possible for Jai to get home and assist and I've, I've been 100% on my own here. Um, our friends have all posted out unfortunately last year saw the last of them leave as well and being at home with work um, even if I'm in the office environment my colleagues they aren't defence spouses and to a large extent we've still been so isolated from our families that they don't really see what defence is and they just see you as, as coping because you're still together and you're happy and people don't really see when you're down, you're down because they're not around to see that and when you're talking to them, you know, it's not in that moment where you're manic or you're really depressed. But yeah, it's absolutely hard and I myself have felt the opposite of empathy from colleagues um, and it's not every colleague but from colleagues to our friends as well and again it's not every friend but I've had comments made to me in the workplace by um, not my current boss thank goodness you know oh well you choose this lifestyle we don't need to make any accommodations for you um, when they were talking about forced leave at work and having to reduce your, your leave balance and I said oh look you know Christmas is the only time that I can really count on my leave being able to sync up with hubbies I'd be so grateful if I could do even customer service work instead of my normal job if, if that work runs out due to COVID if I can just keep that leave up my sleeve um, because you know I'm not the spouse who goes home and has their husband walk in the door every night or I'm not the spouse sitting at home working from home with a spouse who's 
going to walk in and see me at four o'clock tonight. Um, and right now I don't have a timeline on when I'll be able to see him. And every day that passes is going to make every day of leave that I have even more critical. But yeah, it honestly hasn't been very nice. Some of the things that people have said to me, well, you choose this lifestyle, you chose MWDU. And we were like, well, to an extent, but really a lot of your choices when your defense are very materialistic choices because you don't always materially make them. Sometimes it's the circumstance of whatever the defense regulation requires or whatever the operation that they're doing requires that you just have to support. And so for us, we're MWDU now because his location was rural, not metro. And I was looking at a three hour return commute for work to the nearest city a day. Um, and we just added that up and went, look, it's not worth it. But then it's also not one of these situations where in today's age, we can afford to have spouses out of work. We already know that there's higher unemployment rate for defence spouses. And every day that we're not working, we're not getting superannuation paid, which means that that affects life at the other end, potentially when the member's out of the uniform and you are wanting to retire. Yeah, I, I myself certainly haven't felt anything remotely close to empathy really outside of the military community itself and in large part the empathy that I have felt um, has only been from your community Beck so if you hadn't created military wife life you know I'm not even sure that I would have felt any empathy. I love the way that you've just put all of that in regard to even going in depth about super and unemployment and all of that sort of stuff but you know I guess when the colleague makes the comment at work you're not really going to go into the essay of well actually being a defense spouse is about this this and this like people do not know I guess the things that we face the underlying things that we face that we that worry us and that keep keep us up at night some nights because we're trying to make the best of a, a situation where you know whichever decision we make it's not 100% the one that we want to make but we just try to make the best of it and jai how have you been feeling obviously being separated and with julia going through all of that and you know you don't have the choice of well i'll just go back while the borders are open and i'll work from home like that that's not an option you have to be where you have to be for defense how were you feeling you know being separated and seeing all of this play out from afar certainly yeah, quite, uh, quite unexpected like yeah we did not it did not the year has not gone the way i thought it has it was going to sorry at all i guess the day-to-day is not as different as once I started thinking about this COVID stuff, started developing this year, it didn't go as differently, I guess, between me and Julia as I thought in the sense that, you know, we're still just talking on the phone, we're still doing what we normally do. I guess it's kind of made it a little bit difficult to sort of to plan things in the way that we have before. I guess it's the, um, the biggest thing. Like normally we'd, we had a plan, it's like around this time of the year, we're going to try and travel this way and we're going to go try and do this thing together. And you know, I guess there were the things that we were looking forward to that were going to be our little... Um, our little breathers throughout the year that were going to be our things that we were working towards that were going to make the whole rest of it worth it and they've all completely evaporated really so i guess yeah the biggest thing i guess for me is i just kind of got to the point of acceptance well i've got to get back when i can get back and it's not that i you know that i don't speak we don't plan about it or that we haven't talked about it but there's literally only so much that can be done all you can do is just wait it out and just be flexible with your plans. The fact that I got back for a month was just like, you know, when there was just a bit of luck, where the restrictions lifted and got a little bit easier for a while. And um, that happened at relatively short notice and then came back and then locked down, but that wasn't going to happen again for a while. So almost like an acceptance of like, 
we will just make the best out of it. I recently checked back in with Julia to see how things were going. Here's an update. Well, welcome back to the podcast, Julia. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Last time we spoke, you were in the thick of MWDU and COVID restrictions were in full force. You were located in South Australia and your husband in Victoria. Where are you both placed now? What's happening for you guys? So my husband got an early posting home, which came through about August this year. So now we're both back in Adelaide and yeah, just cycling through medical downgrade at the moment. So obviously back together again in the one household, how has that even been going? Like what was that transition like that it wasn't just you sort of snap your fingers and here he comes home? Like what was the process like to get him home? It was difficult actually. Probably one of the hardest experiences I've had in it took quite a toll, especially on mental health. So when he reported what was going on with his injuries, um, which was leaving him unable to walk in crippling pain with his feet, he'd been trying to get treatment for it for a few months and trying to say, you know, how he felt sick and ill. And unfortunately, being in Victoria, they would book referral appointments and make appointments. But with lockdown and those being external providers like for MRIs um, or an audiologist, they would then get cancelled because of bubble and government lockdowns, um, travel restrictions. So we were trying to get him sent back to South Australia, who at that time didn't have restrictions like Victoria. So we were saying to Defence and and his chain of command, you know, what can be done, bring him home. That way these appointments won't get postponed. He can get the treatment. We can find out what's going on because right now they've got him not working. He's more isolated. He's in pain and needing support. He doesn't have me there for support. I don't have him here for support. And most of all, he's being denied medical treatment because you guys don't even know what's going on, but you're just asking him to hang in there daily. And that's obviously having an on-flow effect mentally as well. It's also, you know, very invalidating on both sides for me as a spouse and and to him as a member who's trying to seek treatment and support. So it ended up being like a two-month battle in about the third week of this going on and I'd reported it to DFA. Sandy came through with a phone call to me to ask what was going on and did we still need assistance or was this resolved? And from there it went between Sandy, People Capability in Canberra who were in favour of an early posting home and then the whole process still had to play out at his current location around the medical downgrade going through the early posting back which took quite a long time and all in all it was eight weeks and you know it was really eight weeks of hell and the only support that came through in that time was Sandy from DFA with where they could play in the process and there were delays for them as well as far as you know where they could get involved in the process that had to play out and what pressure they could provide to get things moving along. And so if he hadn't had eventually been given that early end to the posting and because of the medical, how much longer was he due to stay in in Victoria and for you guys to do MWDU? Did you have like an end date that was coming up or was it just that the medical things came up and it was close to the end of the posting and why not? Because he's sitting there not 
being able to work anyway, bring him home? Like what was the situation if he hadn't have ended up coming home for medical reasons? So he was due to post back to Adelaide for 2022 for a three-year posting. So we didn't have an end date locked in. Nobody still knew what was going on with reunion as far as we all knew the policy that governed us was if you had to quarantine coming into South Australia, which the Victoria border had closed again then, so quarantine was required. We had moved to a state of in-home quarantine again, thankfully, so it wasn't hotel quarantine. But if you'd been apart for six months and one day, then that would be covered for you. And if that was, say, Christmas leave and you came back and you had to quarantine on the way in for your leave and then when you returned from leave you had to quarantine into the state you were going to the quarantine was covered at both ends but yeah at that point when he got downgraded we did two weeks quarantine at home when he got back but yeah there was no uh, end date in sight other than that so it was a blessing in disguise that he got home early but really we only traded one very distressing situation for another situation of distress. And so going back to when you were MWDU and you're both stuck in the different states, you had luckily been able to have your husband home for a month, which was very unexpected and and last minute that you were able to get that time together because of, like you mentioned, all the restrictions and the fact that you had to quarantine in the different locations if you came and went from the different states. What happened after you ended up having that month together with reunion visits and being able to see each other after that time? Because you still, even though he's back home now, you still had quite a while apart after that one month together. What ended up happening with seeing each other after that? Our first month of reunion that we ended up being able to have, that was only about three months after the pandemic had begun in 2020. So that was across um, mid-May to mid-June of 2020. And when he left after that, there was no policy that existed then for the reunion as far as, well, quarantine would be paid by defence if you'd been apart for X amount of days. That didn't come through until November of 2020. So between June and November of 2020 and when that policy was would come into effect from another, you know, five months heading towards six months was going past. And then there were a lot of questions when that policy came out around, did that mean that if you had to quarantine on the way into leave, that was covered. But if you also had to quarantine coming out of your leave period and back into your base, was that covered as well? Or was it only one of those periods that was covered because you'd reunited, which broke your six months? So there was a lot of anxiety around that. And we were trying to get clarification on that. So when that announcement was made in November of 2020, we didn't lock in a date for Christmas reunion because we needed those questions answered around whether we were opening ourselves up to what could be thousands of dollars for hotel quarantine that we didn't want to foot the bill for or whether that was covered. So I remember he got home on December 8th, 2020, and that was six months and one day so that we fell inside the policy and it had been able to be clarified by DFA that both ends of quarantine would be required if you had to do the two lots on the way in and out. So that was quite a relief and he was home for a month over Christmas. And then this year, before he came back on an early posting, we managed to get four days of reunion across Easter and the Anzac Day weekend, and that was it. So essentially in the last two years, how many times did you see each other? So you had the one month in June in 2020, he came home for reunion leave 
over Christmas, then the four days in 2021. Is that the only reunion visits that you got in the whole? Yeah, so it totaled 79 days in that period that we were actually able to spend whole days together. When everything was happening at the start of COVID in 2020, everyone was trying to get their heads around, you know, what the rules and restrictions were and everything was changing so quickly. And then, you know, you go into after your time together over Christmas in 2020, you go into 2021 thinking, okay, maybe this year will be better because maybe things have been sorted out or we've had a whole year of this kind of thing and maybe they've worked out something, a better better way of working reunion trips. How did you go into 2021 thinking you would deal with MWDU and possible COVID restrictions and things like that? 2020 had been so hard and when he came home for Christmas, it was a relief that he was home, but it was also very anxiety-inducing in the back of your mind and you, you kept having to put that out of your mind for the month. When he left in January 2021, we had no idea what reunion post-Christmas meant. I remember holding back tears the day before and the morning of his departure. But as soon as I got out of bed that morning, I was making him a coffee so he could hit the road because he had a nine and a half hour drive ahead of him. And the tears just started streaming down my face and I couldn't stop them. And that was the first time he'd left for a posting or duty related course or or separation. Um, Even through seeing him off for deployments, it wasn't as sad as that time. But what we had been through in 2020 was a separation that was longer than a deployment because, of course, you had some reunion dream deployments which broke that up, but we hadn't had that. And so when he left in January this year, I remember his shirt was riddled with my tear marks because I had just been crying. And for the first time ever, I couldn't be strong and just say I was going to put one foot in front of the other because I honestly had no idea how I was going to get through 2021. And I think I spent about an hour on the lounge crying before jumping in the shower after he left. And then I jumped on the phone to him for the remainder of his nine hour trip back to base. And I just sat on the phone for company all day with him. And I think for the first time, that was when my husband could see the toll this lifestyle was taking on his family. It was hard for him just as it was for me. And I think that was the first time he asked me if I wanted to make an appointment with open arms, would that help me? And I didn't make the appointment then because my problem, as with so many other families, was the lack of recognition of MWDU and defence families in general, like people who were experiencing their members coming back from deployment um, or time away on ships or other duties. We weren't recognised as a special cohort like singles through the pandemic who needed a social bubble buddy or we had no access to reunion exemptions or compassionate grounds to allow us to reunite. and. Quite often, families like mine will be husband and wife, member and spouse, and you're each other's only support network. Nine out of 10 defence spouses wish they found out about Defence Bank sooner. Okay, I might have just made that up and they do sponsor my podcast, but I've checked them out and I think they're worth a look just for their banking app alone. It's award-winning, has cool features like fast same-day payments, card alerts and controls, and pin change functionality, savings roundups, Apple Pay, Google Pay, Fitbit Pay, Garmin Pay, the list goes on. Oh, and if you really want to go to a branch, you can. There are 33 on-base branches across Australia. Banking as a defence spouse doesn't have to be hard. For more info, visit defencebank.com.au. Mentioning that your husband realised that for the first time, what kind of impact this lifestyle was having on you. What kind of impact do you think it, it has had on your relationship? It definitely had an impact on us 
So, you know, ever since we met and, and going on nearly 10 years, we've been each other's best friend. And there wasn't a topic in the world that we couldn't talk about, but there was suddenly this bubble where you didn't want to burden the other one because you knew what everybody was going through. And so he wasn't fully transparent with me around what he was going through, you know, what it felt like to be living in hotel quarantine when he was on COVID assistant and how that affected mental health, living in on base in a room and, you know, their size and what that was like and and coming home to that each and every day and coupled with what tempo was for him where he'd done seven months straight away this year, you know, that all took a profound effect, especially because, he wasn't able to report his injuries as early as he wasn't. And that was taking a great toll on him. And with myself as well, I guess I'd been injured not long before we went MWDU and we knew we were going into MWDU and we knew about my injuries, but we didn't know the extent of them. We did not know that I would not recover and we didn't know that I would actually deteriorate to the point that I have a chronic injury now where I would be considered special needs. And I really didn't want to burden him with everything I knew he had going on with just how tough things were. Like he would ask, you know, how how are your arms? How are your muscles today? And I would say, oh, you know, they're sore, but a bath has helped with um, easing off the pain in them. And, you know, he'd check in, you know, have you taken your medication and things like that for it? Are you managing your pain relief? But it was the extent of what they had deteriorated to was something that I I didn't want to let him know where that was at because I knew that he was powerless on the other side of the border when we were in the hands of the state government and needing compassionate grounds for reunion travel that didn't exist. That was very hard to do. And and then it was very hard for both of us to be honest about, you know, the extent of where things were at. And I struggled a lot with the anxiety induced by the border opening and then in June this year, the looming closure of the border again as the outbreak took off in Victoria again, I just knew that that meant the border was going to close and I struggled a lot from that point with resentment for defence, the uniform and his love of the idea of what the army was versus what we were living through, mainly because I was hurting and in pain and I was exhausted under the weight of all of that anxiety and the trauma that it inflicts upon you as well. It just felt like there wasn't any light at the end of the tunnel there. There was no support. There was no empathy. There was barely any consideration, compassion or care displayed by the decision makers that we needed, whether that was the the premiers, whether it was us hearing that defence were talking to the state premiers, updates coming directly to us. We were hearing nothing despite requesting and, you know, there's only so far up the chain of command one member of a certain rank can talk to this person in that chain of command to get an answer and it was just incredibly difficult to deal with and I remember at one point there we did reach out to the padre in his location to say look are there any options that we haven't explored this is what we've done these are the conversations we've had these are the requests that we have put in and he basically said like no you're at their mercy and he said but look let me see what I can do and you know feel free to call me again and honestly I think we ended up having multiple phone calls with him across about a two-month period I think all in all we spoke to him for about three or four hours on different points and where he was trying to help with things you know and he was checking in on you know the the management plan and medical and and what he could do to assist there as well but yeah I've never been through a a harder time in my life and I kind of was sitting here going it says a lot when I've been through deployments and this is harder. And I know that 
the pandemic was hard and I know that it doesn't compare to a deployment in a way because a pandemic and a deployment are very different things and everybody was going through it. But I think that made it harder because we had the weight of so many other things and the weight of the life that had come this lifestyle before the pandemic. And then to add that to it as well, people just thought that we were going through what they were going through, but we weren't. You mentioned that you had some resentments. How do you even, you know, because it was such a long period of time that you had those up and downs and those, like you said, the anxiety of the border opening, but when will it shut again? Like you just so many unknowns and you know you're both going through medical stuff you're both trying not to lump it on each other but you both need each other and you need to be in the one location to be dealing with you know the medical stuff and helping each other and and I guess just being back together how did you come out of that without having any resentment because yeah it's all well and good to say well he's home now everything's better but it's not like that and it's like you know, people know that when they've been through a deployment, it's like, yes, they're back, but you still have those anxieties or those things that trigger you that really got to you during that separation or, you know, the things that did worry you or get to you during that time. Like, how have you gone forward and and how are you feeling in regard to resentment? Do you still have some? Like, what, what's been the lasting impact coming out of um, that MWDU? period. So with the resentment, like when I I was very honest about it and I said to him, you know, I think this is the point where we're now at a situation where we have to deal with this question around, can you continue to wear that uniform? Can you continue to serve in the army or is this it? What does that look like for us if you stay in? Because resentment is a very big thing. It's a very big burden and it will affect our relationships. So one or two things has to happen. Either the resentment has to be gotten past, and that's a very big ask on my part after everything we've been through, or you might need to transition from service. And and what does that look like? Do you go down to part-time service? Would you be able to do reserves? And I guess when we were dealing with that question is where his injuries came to the forefront. And And then, of course, that was even harder because once you start cycling medical downgrade, you have no option to discharge your 12 months on the rehab plan. And then it's what happens. And and then that opened up another can of anxiety because what does a medical discharge look like? And then what was he going through in relation to that if he proceeds to be medically discharged, if he can't come back from this? And, you know, he's been cycling this issue and it's deteriorating for the last six years ever since he had... surgery and we we just didn't know but we knew that more was going on from his symptoms um, and his inability to walk and the pain that he was in we just knew that something more was going on than we'd faced before so it was very much like in our minds we were kind of like okay well we're going to do the return to walk and run program but how many times have we done this in six years are you going to come back from it this time so it just was trading one form of situational distress for another and it's really been like that for a number of years because we were MWDU 2020 and 2021 but I mean 2017 he deployed that was you know a year in itself with everything that went on you know our wedding was planned while he was deployed I moved house and brought a house while he was deployed and while we navigated all of that 
2018, 2019 were incredible, huge tempo periods. So we hadn't really come down from high tempo of 2017. So here we are, fast forward four years, the whole culmination of what had occurred in that period was weighing on us. And yeah, it was very difficult to be in a situation where I no longer want him to be serving, but I can't just say, well, you need to get out because then you're just turning the tables of resentment as well. What if he resents me for having to give up his dream? So I guess we just tried to navigate it as best we can. And and one of the things with these conversations was we thought, you know, they were better done over Skype video rather than just a phone call. So we moved to talking on Skype every night and we thought that that provided a greater level of comfort, especially through such distress. And we tried to do simple, nice things like coordinated Skype dinners on a Friday night. So, you know, we both might go and get the same form of takeaway or make sure we purchase the same dinner. And then just trying to get through occasions like birthdays and anniversaries with that same approach. And I knew my husband was as stuck in the situation as I was. He was beginning to resent the uniform because he couldn't get back to me. And, and suddenly he had a wife and, and the in health and in sickness um, was there and I needed him to provide the care and he felt like he was being denied the ability and the assistance to make that happen. Um, You know, so ultimately there was resentment on both sides, which I think made it a lot easier to deal with because he got where I was coming from and I knew how he felt and where he was coming from. And I knew that He wasn't making the choice to make this more difficult. He wasn't making the choice to stay in. He didn't have choices just like I didn't. You mentioned that you didn't realise what the situational stress and the ongoing, I guess, impact would be after you finally reunited. What did you think it would be and what has it been? I thought when he came home, it would be like when he's come home before. So I didn't know what to expect when he came home from deployment in 2017 because that was our second deployment. But the first time we were new to knowing each other, we were getting to know each other. Um, And I remember after that, I was just thinking like, oh, what's his appetite going to be like? Oh, should I prepare like a a normal size my meal? Or like, is he going to eat his size meals? And, you know, is he going to be hungry? And with the time difference and things like that. And We really hadn't struggled with reintegration past questions like that before. It was, we always had systems and I'm an organisation enthusiast around the house. So everything in its place and everything has a spot. We'd never struggled with like the roles in the house or anything like that before. And this time it was all different because we didn't know where he was at. Like we had no diagnosis um, we didn't know how long things were going to be. And, and we had this other bubble now of, of two weeks of quarantine. And that was great. It was just him and I in that time. And while that wasn't distressing, we just were sitting and we were talking and we were saying we didn't know what to make of the experience we had just been through. And, you know, then we were also talking about if this doesn't go in our favour, what does this mean for your career? Like, Um, what does the next 12 months look like? Is it actually 12 months like at that point in time? Do they stick it out or will they make a determination earlier that perhaps you might not be able to come back from this and so that'll commence your discharge process? And 
you know, we always knew that it was for his career, not if I get out, but when I get out, because you've either got a definite date by which you're done serving now, or there can be these factors beforehand that cause you to get out. And those factors are quite variable. There were just so many unanswered questions around how things were going to play out for us in the future how that was going to affect both of our mental health, how that was going to affect our financials, how that was going to affect our timeline on things from our property portfolio to being able to have kids and affordability of things. If he were to get out, would we utilise the move in the preceding 12 months? So it just felt so overwhelming and we could not talk about it but then you could talk about it for hours and still not resolve anything or or get anywhere and it's been a lot and it has really pushed us to the brink with making sure that we're able to communicate and support each other still and that we don't let these things that are outside of our control affect our relationship but we try and navigate that together as a team still and and that's very very tricky to do was there anything that was in particular that was offered by defense because of covid and before because of the extra separations and no reunion trips and things like that was there any extra checking calls or what was there anything offered from any other sources to support MWDU families or what you were going through, um, especially since you had reached out to those different organisations, you know, I guess if you were a spouse and going through that and you hadn't reached out or, you know, put your hand up or called any of those people for support, then that would be a different story. But was there anything offered to you or did you know of anything that was offered that you just didn't make use of? The only thing that was offered was open arms. Like, you know, you regularly see the posts and you almost always um, have a bit of paper at home that your partner's given you when they go away or um, when they're posting with that number. There were a few letters that came from the CO where my husband was last year, just saying that he intended to keep the families informed. Um, I think there were three that came about four months apart and then they fell away this year and there hasn't been those coming. They did have one there to reach out to chain of command first via the unit welfare officer, um, but you couldn't raise that person between lockdown and working from home. And that was a desk number for the desk on base that they would have been sitting in. So, you know, none of those calls were ever returned. Everything was us reaching out and yeah, we weren't met with any support, um, but ultimately like all up, it has taken more than nine years of being a spouse to find people that I call my people and, Yeah. And I mean, I did meet the social workers here for DMFS at the family day at the start of the year when I went along as um, one of the the committee members this year. And I went up and spoke to them about the issue and what was going on. And, you know, maybe they do a support group for MWDU here. And it's always, you know, oh, we'll send us an email. Um, But they don't tend to know who we are. And There's no tracking of the seasons and the ebbing and flowing that's going on for any of our families. So, and then when you can reach out to them outside of something like that, um, you know, there was no organising on the spot or putting any plans in place to follow up. There's no follow-up phone call or anything like that. All you're left with is the helpline number. And I've rung that dream, you know, trying to get his early posting home and things like that. And, you know, there was no assistance there Um, some of the things that were said during those calls were actually appalling comments to be made they weren't helpful they only added to the hurt it was like salt to wounds so 
yeah, it was very disappointing that there hasn't been any welfare checks done. There hasn't been any, hey, we know that you fit this category and this is what we've got on offer for you. And a lot of the time in this life, unfortunately, if you don't have that person who can make an event that might be on and those are very periodically and very inconsistent across locations but if you don't fit that demographic of family then those events don't appeal to you or if it is a couple's evening that dmfs might be doing um or soldier on might be doing if you don't have people here and you don't know them or your schedules don't align even if you do know them you're unlikely to go to those things because you're on your own and so what did 2020 and 2021 teach you? Uh, a few lessons came out of those years. So one was to ask for help. And there's various ways you can be straight up and you can say, I need help. If you are in need of help, please post on your local Facebook group if, if that's the avenue that you've got. Or if there is somebody in location that you know, tell them. The other option is always to ring open arms. I think that they'll be the most attentive and responsive to your needs. They do have like peer support people in the community who can come and have a coffee with you, similar to like what padres and chaplains could do um, and might still do outside of lockdown situations. But the other one was around... It's easy to be insulted when somebody says to you, I don't know how you do it. But I realized in 2020, people said that to me. They weren't trying to be smart and they weren't trying to pay off or invalidate what you were going through. It's just a run of the mill comment that gets thrown out there. And I started responding to people by saying, well, I don't know how we get through it either. And it's also not like we get a choice in getting through it. And through being honest with people around that, they would ask other questions then. They would say like, so what do you mean you don't get a choice? And, and then these protracted conversations would take place. And what it did for me with those experiences was it was very validating about what we go through and how little people know or understand it. And sometimes it's not their fault because if we're not open and we don't talk and we don't feel like we can have a voice and it's safe to do that, then how are they ever going to understand? It made me realize through everything I've gone through that before all these years, I'd been going through these experiences that, you know, my brain has protected me from the trauma of what being separated for seven months of every year does to you and continued tempo and not having support here. I had always just paid it off as saying, well, you know, when you don't have friends, there's no drama and I don't miss the high school clicky drama, which I had left behind in 2015 when I posted down here. And I had said, you know, like I enjoy working from home and I still do love working from home. But even if I was in the office, I would be just as isolated because there's a huge range of difference in age and teams in in my workplace. So, but what it made me realize was I was so burnt out after those years. And I had this mentality of just putting one foot in front of the other and getting through, you know, I could get this project done or I could achieve this result before he got home. And I was focused on that and that got me through. But what I didn't realize was that I was masking that burnout then with the state of euphoria from that achievement. And being so slow during 2020 and 2021 brought that to mind that my advice to people now isn't keep busy, have hobbies, because you don't want to get to that place of being burnt out and coming back because 
that's one big black hole to climb out of and it's not an easy road. So my advice is to, you know, focus on your self-care, paying attention to your body and your health and your needs. You mentioned that you had been able to create your own sort of network and connections through reaching out in the various ways and and you you felt like you'd finally be able to find your person and and built that friendship with some other defense partners but what support or community connection do you wish existed or do you think could have been offered during this time of isolation for you something that struck a chord with me was you know between my location there were many MWDU families and in my husband's own unit where he was um, at the school that he was at there were several MWDU families there as well they didn't know each other and who it was. He didn't know who the others that were MWDU was, apart from the one guy he worked right alongside of. But, you know, from being in that partner's group at that location as well, I was able to go, okay, well, hold on, there's several of them there because I'm seeing posts. And I think it would be great if within the units and command, those families can be supported so that the members can support one another. But importantly, then they can introduce the spouses across locations for support because that would be amazing support for people. You wouldn't feel like you were alone because you'd be going through the exact same journey due to the exact same tempo at the exact same location. The other thing I think we missed was the defence family recognition as a special cohort who needed bubble buddies and who needed reunion. In general, I think the rules around social worker referral need to change in defence. Currently, you need the chain of command to sign off on when you're trying to speak to the social workers. I don't think that that's healthy. And in our case, it was denied multiple times when we tried to get that report to aid our early posting. It's just mind-blowing that it exists these days where someone will tell somebody that they can't reach out to a social worker. I think that there needs to be some welfare checks. I think we need to see more unit welfare officers and that the welfare check be conducted between them and and maybe padres and chaplains. I know that they're already run off their feet, but something in defence has got to change to allow that capability. Thank you. Thank you, Julia, for coming on the podcast and giving us an update about where you're at and how you got through 2020 and 2021 and going forward, what you and your husband are obviously dealing with and how you're coping with his transition home and after going through such a up and down time over such a long period of time. It's going to take a bit of time to to get back to a place where you feel like things have come back to normal. My husband has managed to score a desk role next year due to his injuries um, and his requirements. So it's a new normal between him working hybrid from home and from a desk on base. And so I think that's very much going to help with us going into 2022. And I look forward to feeling better and having a better year. Well, welcome Lauren to the Military Wife Life podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here. We're talking obviously COVID 2020 and our experiences during COVID and lockdown and restrictions. Can you tell us where you're posted at the moment and what field your military person works in? Sure. So we're posted to Perth and he's in a marine engineering role. And so what does that role entail? Does he go away a lot or is he home on a base? Is it Monday to Friday? What what does it kind of entail? It varies, but generally it's Monday to Friday unless 
he has duties or is in a role where, like he did a role, the COVID task force, so that would be on a roster. So generally it'd be Monday to Friday. What type of impact did COVID and lockdown and restrictions throughout 2020 have on your life and I guess your husband's life, the flow on effect? When COVID happened, he was on a sea-going vessel. So their change in plans prompted us to get engaged and get married within a couple of months because it looked like he was going to go east for an extended period of time. And um, we'd also just moved house. So it just kind of brought up a few life events a bit quicker than we would have planned. Yeah. And you weren't complaining about that? No, not not at the time. It's kind of, there's some benefits to um, getting engaged and married within a few months. But um, certainly afterwards, I think I mentally took a bit longer to catch up and take stock of what had happened and where we were going and all of that. So I feel like I've kind of recovered for now. I suppose you had to kind of get your head around, you weren't even engaged and then you're suddenly engaged getting married quickly and thinking that there'll be a deployment. But then what happened with the deployment and COVID? So of course the ship's plans changed, but also my husband left the ship. So there was a lot of stress around that as well and just supporting him to, you know, have a redirection in workplaces and postings. So um, there was a lot going on, but it meant that I got to have him home for the whole year, which was really nice. Yeah. So what had you going into 2020, what had you kind of envisioned 2020 looking like? Obviously, it ended in a whole other way. But what had you sort of gone into 2020 thinking the year would be? I guess he was going to deploy. And I actually spoke to another spouse about this because our husbands were posted to the same area at one point and they were going to Asia. And I was planning to go and visit him for the port visit. And I think that's about it. Oh, we're going to go away at the end of 2020 to Europe and have a white Christmas. And I had some business and work goals that actually they went okay but yeah things just changed dramatically and you just had to kind of roll with it and make the most out of what we could do I guess. And had you kind of I guess mentally prepared yourself for your husband deploying and all that would entail for you obviously being back home and him him being away the trips obviously were planned to see each other but had you mentally prepared yourself for the deployment and then what was it like sort of I guess bringing yourself back down from not having to go through that yeah I'd begun to kind of work out how I was going to not fill my time but you know redirect my time other places positive places while he was gone and then there's a change of plan but as you know then there's another change in plan another change in plan so it's like you're constantly preparing yourself for plan a to happen and then plan b and then plan c so i think i've just got better at going okay what do i need to focus on right now and this might not even happen so this is what's happening in the next couple of months we think and then just reassuring myself that no matter what happens i'll be okay i've got my support network and if he's 
point, it's a bonus. And so would you say that COVID had a positive impact on your relationship and I guess home life, despite the fact that your husband was going through some things at work and had to redirect and wasn't deploying anymore. And I guess he had to obviously mentally prepare himself for a change in circumstance. But what would you say COVID overall was for you and your husband? I'd say, and he might not agree, but I think it's been quite positive in that we've had to go through some things that we might never have gone through or they might not have been as as tough and whilst yes we got engagement got married and they're really happy and exciting times there's also other things that we've gone okay we can get through anything like we got through um 2020 and a lot of people um had that experience where it was a really tough year and overall I think it's made us stronger and I feel like I trust him more than I ever did because we've shown each other how we can be at our our lowest or our worst, but we've come out of it stronger. And so did you receive any support from Defence or DCO? Like, were you staying in contact with the support networks over where you are? Yeah, so our DCO office is really great. And whilst I didn't reach out to them formally um, as part of my work role, I do see them quite often. So I was able to have conversations about um, different difficulties I was having and they were able to give me strategies or people to talk to which was good and they ran some online events such as a paint pouring workshop which was lots of fun so I can't fault them. Since your husband wasn't deploying anymore did it mean that he was still working on a base or was he working from home and were you working from home as well? Um, He wasn't working from home in WA I feel like we only had about six weeks of really I don't even want to call it a hard lockdown, but relatively hard lockdown. And he was still on a ship. So he was going to work um, most days. So he didn't work from home until WA had the five day lockdown um, in early February. So I actually felt quite lonely. I'm an extrovert and I love people. So I would count down the minutes till I thought it he'd be home and he was working quite long days. So that was difficult not having anyone at home. And what kind of support or community connection do you wish or think could have been offered during COVID and lockdown where you are or for others, I guess, going through COVID? I think there could have been a much quicker movement to online. And I do understand why defence needs to be really careful about what they do when they do it but it just felt like it took a bit longer than it could have and then once Perth started to open up I felt like they were a bit hesitant to go back to in person which again I understand but I just think a state-by-state approach as opposed to a national approach would have been better and it does appear that is happening now which is really positive. So what is the near future likely to hold for you and your husband? So at this point he will not be deploying in at least the short-term future but who knows I'm um, preparing preparing for that anyway but we're due to host up to Darwin which is exciting and um, he's got a shore billet up there so there is the chance he may go to sea he's told me occasionally but um, at this point he'll be Monday to Friday so that'll be nice to feel a bit more reassurance that there'll be a routine and he'll be around. And so what did 2020 teach you? So it's smart to have different 
forms of income. It's smart to be prepared for impact, to have a support network. You need to ask for help. I certainly learned I need to say no more and I need to keep my routine with exercise and meditation and say yes to the things that I really want to do and that really help me to say a corny phrase, live my best life. Well, thank you so much, Lauren, for coming on the Military Wife Life podcast and telling us about your COVID and 2020 experience and all that that entailed for you and your partner. Thank you so much. And thank you for all you're doing to help the military spouse community. I so hope you were able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 